Hello, listeners. I apologize for the delay in bringing you this episode on Supergiant Games Pyre. It was originally scheduled for December 24th, 2020, but a combination of miscommunications and real-life distractions had this one arrive a few weeks late. Also, the numbers are mixed up. Episode 268, last week, is called 269 in the audio, and the reverse is true for this episode. That's my bad. Sorry for the confusion. Thank you for your patience. Here is episode 269 of Retro Encounter. episode 268 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and I am returning again with our Supergiant Games panel for the third episode in this miniseries, starting with Eva Padilla. Hello. And Alana Hagues. Hey, what's up? Well, what's up is that I have spent uh, the past week or two as a post-apocalypse, mid-apocalypse, barnstorming basketball prisoner player, and uh, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, uh, for the podcast, we are, this episode is all about Pyre, that's P-Y-R-E, the uh, Supergiant Games 2017 title that is about a, uh, a group of exiles who take part in rites to try and escape exile and return to the uh, metropolis that's definitely not a utopia. Uh, high above the um, mysterious landscape they live in called the Underside. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, no, not the Underside. The Downside is where they live, and the Commonwealth is the metropolis above. I I guess starting with you, Eva, um, just first impressions of Pyre, how did you feel in the early goings playing? So the first things that you notice, uh, think of the colors. Like, it has a very striking color palette. Um, that really draws you in. And then you notice that it's kind of like a visual novel, and then you go into the gameplay, um, which is, like many people have made this, even the developers, uh, highly reminiscent of NBA Jam. The first time I participated in a riot, I was I was laughing. Like, there was just a lot of joy there um, because it was so new. Like, wow, I don't think I've really done something like this in a game. It's very silly and very fun, and I'm interested to see where it goes. And uh, there were some interesting places, yeah. Oh, this game goes interesting places, and and, that, and I'm not just talking about the uh, locales within the, down, the downside. I mean, it, it has been a dream of mine to play a sports RPG with customizable special moves and players and... Uh, and equipment and everything. This is this is something that um, definitely vibes with me to a degree. But uh, Alana, how did you vibe with Pyre overall, especially your earliest impressions? Cool. Well, um, yeah, I think the first thing I noticed in particular was the way the characters speak and the way they address you. Um, two things really about it. Um, Pyre, there's not a lot of English dialogue or voiced English dialogue in Pyre. The only character who consistently speaks in English is the voice or the speaker um, or here's another name later on um, the one who conducts the rites basically the one who uh, commentates on them and I found that really exciting especially when you've got like you know um, as Eva said it's kind of like a visual novel and 
one thing that visual novels tend to do is they tend to only voice the first line of dialogue or like a character quip or a, like a common phrase and all of the characters in Pyre they don't speak English they speak a fictional language called Saurian I think it's called um and that immediately added this like otherworldly flavor to this really unusual game and this really unusual setting and I just I kind of fell in love with it straight away because everybody like they were recognizable voices like you've got the normal over of like super giant VAs um but it just made it feel it added to that strangeness but I found it very warming and comforting and I love the language that the characters use as well so like it's very the immediate religious undertones and the like because um the reason your character the reader has been sent to the downside i don't think we've explained the downside itself yet no we have we have not i've i've thrown terms around but <laughs> definitely haven't explained much what's surrounding them at all well i mean the game doesn't necessarily go out of its way to explain them to you but you can like click look on the highlight the words and read cuz there's a lot of terminology you have to pick up on you know you're the reader you know the rites themselves are you know it's kind of a religious term full of connotations there's the book of rites there's oh god right you put on raiments which are religious garbs and there's a lot to do with language in this game that is really really fascinating and really really my kind of thing and i was like all right and then you just put a like basketball game in the middle of it i'm just like yeah sure all right we'll we'll go with that um but yeah, it, it, but it, it's not just that there's there's a lot of um sort of religious imagery and uh and sort of post-apocalyptic elliptic story elements surrounding all of this but i mean you're also basically a traveling basketball team playing other traveling basketball teams and you can even look at standings and records yeah and right they, and they affect who makes the the sort of the, the tournament match at the end Right. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's not even like the first sports <laughs> RPG ever, though, is it? Like, because the Mario no, tennis I... games on a Game Boy are like RPGs, but this is so different. Like, I mean, Super Greg, in a particular, in an interview, they were worried. Him and Emir Rao were worried that people would associate it with sports too much, but it just kind of became part of the natural dialogue of that game, and it mm -hmm. fits. You know, it fits. Like even Logan yeah, Cumming it... calls it like NBA Jam cross with Oregon Trail, which. It's really the easiest way you can encapsulate it, even yeah. if it doesn't capture everything. Uh, this game is difficult to explain uh, what it is without, you know, combining um, terms of many other games, which is something that I I've, I, I, I don't love doing, but uh, will definitely resort to anyway. It's I, I think it's basically a, a storytelling game, a narrative game with elements of RPGs, visual novels, and uh, and and sports games, but without really permanently living in one of those three spaces uh and speaking of amir rao and greg kasavin i i am gonna share an anecdote that i know i've told alana before i think i've also told eva before and probably have said on the podcast before but it bears repeating um i went to e3 for four years in a row uh 2016 to 2019 um and my very first e3 meeting in 2016 was with greg and amir for pyre and I, it was my first E3. I didn't know what to do. For RPG fan, we always attend E3 in a group of, um, I don't know, around eight to ten. And uh, and and someone, uh, one of the group leaders, will sort of um, set all the meetings and assign, give people assignments for interviews and such. And uh, and and I did have my list of interviews, but I also 
like just looked at the entire schedule that we had and just sent out recklessly sent out like I don't know six or seven emails to a bunch of indie studios that might have been E3 asking if they wanted to talk about their games just because I wanted to try to do something on my own for my first E3 and I got a uh, maybe about half were no replies and some were uh, sorry, but we're not attending or sorry, but uh, our schedule is set. But Supergiant Games replied to me and said, we have, we have openings this morning and this morning. We can uh, meet with you briefly for one of those times. So I, I accepted and uh, and uh, two other of our RPG fan staff, uh, um, uh, Steph and Peter, whom you both know, joined me for that meeting. And my first E3 experience was less than an hour after walking into the convention center. Uh, playing a build, a 2016 build of Pyre on a laptop, and uh, Greg Kasavin and Amir Rao could not have been nicer. Inexorably tie Pyre with my first E3 experience and my RPG fan uh, like mini career because, it, and it's become personal to me over the to- over the years. And I bought Pyre when it came out on on Steam in 2017, but only messed around with the beginning and didn't fully play through it to the end until uh, until earlier this week. So I, I'm glad I got there. And yeah, th- this game is as weird and as special as I thought in that, in that original preview that I wrote uh, four, four years ago. Uh, l- l- let's back up a little bit again. Um, we, we know that there's a, a metropolis called the Commonwealth and a, uh, a sort of a prison land called the Downside. It, you could, if you're committed of any crime in the Commonwealth, you can be cast downward. And um, because this is, it's a basically a religious oligarchy of sorts where literacy is forbidden, a lot of people get thrown to the downside for uh, for um, teaching people to read or being in possession of a printing press or or a lot of books or similar. And that that's why you're in the downside. Uh, the player character is the reader, who uh, and because like literacy is an uncommon skill, uh, all of the teams that are trying to use the rights to return to the commonwealth need a reader to uh, like to read the signs and read the stars to guide them to the next location of the rights and Oregon again Oregon Trail and NPA Jam um, the exploration segments are the reader guiding your little caravan around a truly beautiful world map that is extremely um, color specific as Eva mentioned a minute ago and sort of making Oregon Trail like decisions like oh do I uh do I search around for an item in this space or do I uh do I t- like study and reflect in this space do I um take the north route or do I take the south route just like very simple decisions like that that affect uh your your resources and um and some semi random happenings to your team but but ultimately you're uh you challenge other teams to these basketball ish rights and uh with the and if you win enough of them or win uh, appropriately time your wins in them, uh, you can, uh, like, every so often, you can send one of your teammates back up to the Commonwealth. And uh, eventually there's story happenings surrounding this that uh, that complicate things. We'll talk about those in a minute. But uh, th- this game is a balance of, like, meeting your companions and interacting with them in a visual novel way, recruiting new ones and, um, and sort of rewarding, rewarding them with freedom at certain parts of the story. Mm. So it's more of a game of two halves, isn't it? Like the first half of the game is you making your way to Mount Elodial, which is where the rights take the liberation rights take place. But Mm. along the way you do still have to do normal rights because that's what the stars deem. And 
it's what you do. Um, and then the second half of the game is you doing the liberation rights, but going back across the world map in an easier way and you've got a lot more freedom to what you can do at that point or there's at least a little like some choices more choices that you can make yeah um before the first rights are uh, sorry before the first liberation rights you basically explore the entire world map once and then uh, eventually there's seven rights in the game uh, i'm sorry seven liberation rights in the game and then for liberations two through seven you can revisit locations you've already been to in a non-linear manner and and with some choice into which teams you face and what order you can uh, uh, you can revisit in. But uh, I want to talk about the world map for a minute because it's. Uh, I mean, again, we mentioned this, but it's really beautiful. Uh, the, you, you go through a variety of different climbs here, but um, the the uh, the forest area is a bunch of just stunning pinks and greens. The ocean area is. Uh, is, is is like black and be- and blue and beautiful. Um, it, like every time I would go to a new map, it was like I was looking into a jewelry box with my little caravan icon sort of rickety cl- rickety clacking along <laughs> from from map point to map point. It was I, I it was really really fun every time there was a new map uh, that that I could see in the, in the first half of the game. It's much less uh, condensed than um, Bastion and Transistor because even though it's um, Bastion, like you're teleporting to these different spots, it all like some, it, they're all like kind of condensed once you get there. Like you follow this path through there and then you teleport back. Um, but with this, it's much more expansive. I mean, the, the, um, how you're looking at the stars and everything, and it seems like you're traveling by them, it gives it a much larger sense of place, um, than the previous ones did of, you know, it's very similar to um, if you're a team that's like traveling around for an entire season of some sort of sport. You know, like you're you're the Chicago Cubs, and so you're going to um, San Francisco to play the Giants, and then you're heading up to New York so you can play the Mets and things like that. There aren't exactly home and away teams in Pyre, but uh, different teams are like by reading signs in the stars go to specific places and uh, and each um each site for the rights has you know a, a slightly different layout uh there's one where um where the obstacles uh like even move around and sort of chase you a little bit <laughs> um uh, that, that was the one in, in like in like the Rhode island area that was a weird one <laughs> yeah and uh and um when you go into uh into sandra's um a right right location inside the crystal ball it's actually kind of it was kind of hard for me to read the uh the obstacles because they looked like glyphs written on the ground and they and they sometimes changed between rounds <laughs> but uh but, but but yeah like the actual gameplay portion of the rights is a little bit like nes hockey like nba jam uh you're a team it's a it's a 3v3 team where you pass around a sort of a, a giant uh crystal ball and um, try to throw it or or uh, or jam it into the oppo- opposing team's pyre. It, it, it's basically each team has a large flame that is like that represents your, I don't know. Uh, you would probably call it a uh, you would probably call it a core if you were playing a MOBA or something or a uh, or or a castle. Mm-hmm. But the uh, and, and and in fact, you know, I've thought about this a little bit. I think that there are multiple League of Legends or Dota two players in Supergiant staff because j- just the way you aim different moves 
and the way characters move around, I, I think that there is MOBA influence in sort of the basic movement and direction of characters and movesets. Because th th this feels a little like MOBA basketball, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I can see that. I've never, play and I've never played those MOBAs, but I would totally believe it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had a, I don't know, sometimes fun, sometimes unfortunate uh, run of playing Heroes of the Storm a lot for about three years. And, uh, you know, I, I'm at good times with it, but I, I, think, I, I think my MOBA career is basically over. The, the, the rights are really interesting because you eventually get a roster of, uh, I, I think, as many as nine or ten players. You, you start with only three, but, uh, but all of them play very differently. And the, uh, your basics, the basics of movement in this game are uh, people, you know, can walk around at different speeds. And they have, uh, they, but they also have a dash, a jump. And a uh, and, and different properties on their uh, uh, on, on 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 what's called a cast, which is sort of like an attack. If you're not um, if you're not holding the crystal ball, uh, which which is you know a charge for some characters, an explosion for one character, but usually some for, some, uh, sort of like a fireball kind of move. Uh, so, but if you're holding the crystal ball, you can still dash and jump, but you can't cast and. Uh, uh, my, most of my strategy for this game was sort of let them get the ball first, try to attack their holder uh, so that they would get um, knocked out for a while. Uh, if, if, if you get hit by a cast and, and can't defend against it, you're at, uh, that character is out of the match for a few seconds. And then when I had a 3v1 or 3v2 advantage, have my most agile character dash and jump his way to the opponent's pyre. And I, uh, I I was pretty successful in the rights. I had one early loss, but then for the rest of the game, I basically could win or lose uh, whether I chose to, uh, like, at my own volition. Because unusually for a sports game, sometimes l losing feels more appropriate than winning. Uh, again, we've talked about this in the other episodes. Uh, all Supergiant games, to a degree, are games about choice. Gameplay choices and designing how your character plays to a couple uh, impactful uh, uh, like story choices to customize your own experience. And there's a lot of choice in Pyre, especially with liberation rights. But let's talk about characters a little bit first, because uh, uh, your team of, uh, of exiles trying to make it back to the Commonwealth is called the Nightwings. And they ha their raiments are a nice, vivid uh, red and blue. And you start out with three in addition to the reader, reader uh, Jodariel, Hed Hedwin, and Rookie. Um, uh, Jodariel is an imposing woman with uh, demon horns. Hedwin is a sort of relatively normal height human of sorts. And Rookie is a dog-like person because the, the world of Pyre has at least eight or nine different races of sentient people. Right. right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, one thing I was never really clear on um, with Jodariel in particular and a couple of other characters, demons aren't particularly a race, are they? They're like, they grow horns in the downside that's what i interpreted is that how you both? yes yeah okay I, I, I believe demons are humans that have been in the downside a long time and and uh and if you live in the downside you may start uh slowly start to grow horns and but there's at least two kinds of humans uh nat nomads which headwind is mm -hmm. and savages which uh which is what the moon touched girl is and um but i'm i'm it's unclear if they are the same if they are two casts of the same species or if they're separate species but uh, but the scribes which are the sort of group of gods that are worshiped by the uh the people of both the commonwealth and the downside it it appears that there's one of that the eight scribes are each of a different race and one of them is demon so uh right, yeah. it's 
it's it's it's a little it's a it's a whole sort of world and, and mythos that they've set up in in Empire, but and uh, and there's incredible diversity in the nine or ten characters that join your party. Yeah, they're so cool. Yeah, I I mean there's I like that there's diversity in personality and experience and how they move about the world, but I mean every one of them plays pretty differently too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be a yeah. couple that are somewhat like headwind and at first headwind and uh the moon girl uh vagabond girl i think is like they're somewhat similar but they you know they branch out and they uh diverge as they go on and all of them really are pretty different and they feel pretty different to play yeah i I think um uh we were saying moon touch girl or moon girl um (laughs) amusingly uh when you meet this girl who's a stowaway on your caravan she doesn't remember her name, and but she remembers that it uh, that it rhymes with, oh, what's the word that she compares it to? Is it is it day or play? Is it gray? It gray. gray yeah. yeah. She rem- she remembers that it rhymes with gray. So the player has something like, I don't know, twelve wor- names that rhyme with gray that they can choose between <laughs> for for uh, for Moon Girl. And I I ended up landing on Shay. Uh, wh- what did you guys name Moon Girl? I went with Nay, and I don't know why. I was just. I because one yeah. of the options is Bay, and I was like, "Do mm-hmm. I? I'm not going to take this seriously <laughs> if I go for that." And I was like, "Nah." So Nay the nuisance was uh, my moon touch girl, and she was the complete opposite of a nuisance. Mine, I I chose Lay for mine, but thinking back and then, uh, Alana, as you bring up Bay, I think it would have been really funny in the game. <laughs> so you can just have Logan Cunningham at the start of each match going Bay. <laughs> <laughs> We could be real funny. Yeah, and she gives herself a really unfortunate moniker, no matter what name you choose for her. Uh, I, I chose yeah. Shay, went with, and she called herself Shay the Shoddy, which is, which is not very flattering at all. Yeah, she called herself Lay the Lonely. Oh no! I mean, oh, no. she is a little each, lonely, each, isn't she? But yeah. yeah, each alliterative name is sadder than the last one. And 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 the funny thing is, um. Uh, her her deal is that uh, she was, uh, I don't want to say disturbed or schizophrenic because that's reading into it too much, but um, but she sees visions and believes she speaks to the scribes, who are, which are again the gods of this world. She was probably dismissed as a mentally ill person by people and the Commonwealth, and then cast down to the downside. And but upon interacting with her, she's clearly an unusual girl that uh, that sees uh, visions and hears voices that may or may not be real. But is but is an extremely wholesome, friendly person, she's, who's a, a an asset on your team. She's a sweetheart, yeah. Yeah, she's got she's got moves too. Like she can jump. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was like a late game MVP for me. Yeah, she's yeah. a little bit uh, a little bit more agile than Hendwin, but has a slight startup to her moves. Like she has like a slight like charge time uh, to her dashes and jumps. Yeah. But uh, but. When if you level her up a little bit, you can make her even faster or remove that uh, that charge time. Mm-hmm. Again, you all these characters can level up and learn perks, and you can equip uh, artifacts to them that in, that improve their skills and stats. Uh, and and the, the stats are unusual. There's um, <laughs> um, uh, hope is the stat is how far how quickly you recover back to the team after you've been hit. Uh, glory is the damage stat essentially. Um, and uh, again, this is just a, a very unusual, very fla- uh, text flavorful kind of game. Um, and uh, 
but again, the, the, your team has such a diversity of silhouettes and personalities. Uh, Jadariel is very large but slow. Her when you throw out her cast, it takes up a huge amount of space. So, but so she's maybe more suitable as an as a anti as as like an uh, an attacking character or for defending your pyre and not necessarily as a scorer. But she she has a huge glory stat. So if you can get her to lumber the the ball all the way to the pyre, it'll deal like triple as much damage as Tizo who is tiny and hugely agile but does barely any damage at all when he uh when he you know uh like uh, takes it home but but it, he does get better when you level him up though like he can by the end of my game he was doing um like only 5 points less than Jodariel <laughs> so yeah me too yeah he, he was doing he's like 25 yeah yeah, I think he has a perk that boosts his glory a little bit, and you can um, probably equip him with something that increases his glory. But I, I think when I got to the end of the game, I had him dealing something like 22 because he was at 20, and then I got a bonus two from doing a bunch of reading in, in the off to- in in uh <laughs> in my downtime on the downside. But uh, if Tizo's sort of special unique artifact, uh, like makes his stamina cost for dashing and jumping is down to zero. So you you're giving you infinite dashes and and, uh, and infinite hover, which made him just completely untouchable because I, I had a pretty good grasp of of evasive play with with the really fast characters, and he was he was automatic points every every round. Yeah, and uh, by, but, just how we have to talk about just how great Tiso is in general. He's oh my little, god, he's a little. Um, they call him a drive imp. So he's this little kind of impish bird thing with horns because he's been down there and you know he's kind of grown horns and he's uh he's he's the bomb like he was my mvp basically he's he's a sort of bird-like and bat-like with a with a very yeah. smiley sort of uh face and expressive eyes um but he only like communicates in uh, squeaks and chirps but if you hover over the squeaks and chirps it'll tell you how he's feeling and he is just so adorable and happy all the time that he's. I mean, I, I, I would be surprised if any of us have a different favorite character than Tizo. No, I don't. <laughs> I love Tizo's him. Just the best. He's the absolute <laughs> best. Um, initially, I didn't like using him in the rights. Um, but yeah, once you start leveling him up, he was really consistently my best. And interestingly enough. I think he's the only one that isn't banished, isn't he? He lived in the downside. He's grown up in the downside. And, he was born in the downside, yeah. Yeah, he was born in the downside and is apparently even uh, a descendant of one of the um, eight scribes, um, Halb, um, who is the imp, one of the scribes. So, yeah, he's just the best. I mean, his little bandage on his horn, his teeth, his little feet, his eyes, his squeaks... He's just so cute. Really- Fan demand for Tizo merch was so strong that even though they hadn't done plushies before, Supergiant did release a Tizo plushie that you can find on their website. Why is he not the mascot like Totoro is for Ghibli? Like, that would be so perfect. Yeah, he, he should be the, the, the Supergiant logo, absolutely. They, him, they should rename Supergiant to, like, uh, like Super Tizo. Oh. And, really, and I really like that, you know... In RPGs, like having the the pattern mascot is kind of a dime a dozen, but um, like there's some like there's some good story beats with Tizo and his role. You know, Tizo was with the old Nightwings because you discover that um, your Nightwings are basically imposters. They took on the role from 
uh, people who, well, races and demons and uh, and those who participated in the rites previously. Um, so he's been around for quite a while and he reacts to characters and characters have um, relationships with him that are not just like, ah, I pet you animal. It's like, you made sure that I didn't go back to the Commonwealth, like, and I am seeking vengeance. Like, Tizo's a big player. Mm. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the old Nightwings a little bit. Because the, the first three characters in the Nightwings, uh, or, or in addition to the reader, Jodario, Hedwin, and Ruki, were sort of directed to the caravan and to the old Nightwings gear and everything by a man named uh, Sandalwood. And sort of, you, you hear, Sandalwood's a bit of a mysterious character for most of the game, but around the halfway point, or maybe just after the halfway point, you meet Sandalwood in person. He's a, he's a tree man, or called a, a sap, named Volfred Sandalwood. And Volfred uh, was a member of the original Nightwings before you found their caravan abandoned. And uh, there was a, a, the Nightwings had been a, uh, a, a, you know, a, an influential team in the downside for years and years and years, but the last incarnation of them uh, basically, the the, uh, the initiate the excuse me liberation rights uh, went really really poorly. Um, I, I, uh, they were going to liberate a man named Orelek, but then he was shoved out of the way, and a different teammate jumped into the uh, into the into the column of light to be sent up. But that uh, didn't but it didn't work because that person wasn't designated the winner, and uh, so uh, I forget her name, but so she died. Orelek accidentally tumbled off the mountain and was presumed dead. And Volford was so dis, uh, like depressed by it all that he abandoned the caravan in the desert. And uh, he and uh, Tizo, who was the, the imp driver of the caravan, went their separate ways. But then uh, behind the scenes, um, Volford, like, you know, definitely influenced by those events, decided that he needed to end the cycle of rights and liberation and, and basically just just uh, incite revolution in the Commonwealth and, uh, and, and fix this broken system. So he behind the scenes for many, many years, had, uh, you know, agents in the downside and in the Commonwealth start planning this behind the scenes and then recreated the Nightwings with these uh, three new uh, three new uh, participants and a new reader to try and send as many sympathetic agents of his plan to, um, to the Commonwealth as possible. It's not exactly clear why, but towards the end of the game, you, the stars start disappearing from the sky and it's clear that uh, the rights are not going to be around much longer. Eventually, like the, within a few more liberation rights, the uh, there will be no more people from the downside freed to the Commonwealth. And it's, I, I think it's implied that the people in the Commonwealth realize that revolution is coming, and it's coming from the downside. So they need to cut them off entirely. And and the person who the the announcer for the rights who presides over the rights is a judge who's just called the voice for most of the game. But you eventually learn that he's not only the ruler of uh, the Commonwealth, but he's a former member of the Nightwings named Brighton. And Brighton, or the judge, or the voice, or whomever you want to call him, gets increasingly hostile <laughs> towards you, the reader, and you, the Nightwings, when he realizes that uh, you that um, Volfred is among you and is uh, and is inciting revolution in the Commonwealth. So it, the game went like starts from being a presumed. Uh, way to free as many people as you can to a way to try and uh, and overthrow the commonwealth but uh, but with the knowledge that you won't be able to free your whole team and, and eventually there are seven liberation rights total 
and um so I, I think the absolute maximum number of your own team you can free is seven uh and the ending changes depending on how many night wings are freed versus how many uh non night wings are freed is is one of the elements that goes into the many many possible endings you can get in pyre but Let's talk about the other teams and the liberation rights a little bit, because the, the, uh, I believe there's ten teams total, including your own, the, the Nightwings, uh, and other the other uh, teams, which are called triumvirates because they're always trios, uh, are are trying to send their own people to the liberation rights as well and have their own stories and struggles. Um, what, what did you think of the others? Did you have maybe a favorite or one that you want to talk about? But uh, other than the last one, because that, that they're they're special. <laughs> Oh, oh god, I'm trying to remember their names, but the one with the dog father and the son, the adopted... The fates. The fates, yeah. I really mm-hmm. like them because um, there was a dynamic... I think it's one of the only teams initially, or at least later on, that has two characters who are named. Cause I think Sir Gilman was part of the um, Pyre Hearts, wasn't he, before he defected yeah. to your team? And... Or, no, Bertrude is not part of the other team. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, like I just loved the father-son dynamic between them. And of course the son has this relationship with, or at least the Moontouch girl, Nay, she has a lot of interactions with him. And I think their liberation right is maybe one of the more difficult ones as well. Um, it, oh, it is. It's, um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to call her Moon Girl because again, she's Shay to me and Nay to you and Lay to Eva. But uh, just to give you a taste of how the different endings can be affected in this game. Um, I need to look up their names. Uh, It's the father, a human son with a dog father, uh, adopted father and son, of course, um, are the uh, are the two sort of named characters in the fates. Yeah, it's um, Dalba is um, the dog and Alma is the son. Yes. Um, um, Dalbert is a dog who's been around. uh, uh, Cur is the name of the species. Mm -hmm. Dalbert is a cur who has been in the downside for a long, long time, and he has an adoptive son named Al- named Albert, and uh, I'm sorry, Almer. And Almer uh, loves and respects his uh, his adoptive father with all his heart. Um, and but and when you interact with the Fates, uh, Almer and Moon Girl have a bit of a connection. Like like Moon Girl clearly wants to be friends. Almer is clearly a little flustered whenever she talks to him, and there's you know a, some kind of connection there. And when you face a liberation right against the fates there's the undercurrent of dalbert has maybe suffered the most of any of of anyone down there and does definitely deserves to finally be liberated and this is where part of where choice comes in i mean for any reason you want whether it's sympathy or character interaction or what have you um you the player you like the game doesn't end if you lose a rights uh, whether it's liberation rights or regular rights it's just like the standings will change your the amount of favor will change and if you lose a liberation right then someone from the other team is sent up to the commonwealth instead of one of your teammates and because and i think that um the fates are one of the most sympathetic other groups in the entire game because like you you see dalbert and almer's relationship and and you uh, participate in the rights and you might think you know, maybe I'll just throw this one and let Dalbert be liberated because he deserves it. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, they're not they're not liberating Dalbert, though, are they? That's not what they wanted to do in the end. He wanted his son to go free, right? Or, yes. Yeah. If, if you lose, whether on purpose or not, to the fates in a liberation right, 
Dalbert says, I relinquish my chance for liberation and choose Almer instead. Hmm. And Almer goes up um, to, to the dismay of basically everyone. So uh, this game throws you story curveballs in a lot of interesting ways. And at the very, very end of the game, after you complete seven liberation rites, it'll give you a sort of where are they now of every major character in the game and sort of giving you sort of personalized endings for every named character. And if Almer and Moon Girl both end up in the Commonwealth, both get liberated, they they uh, start a relationship. And it, I don't think it oh. explicitly mentions if they, they get married or not, but they they uh, they do get together in some way, which is you know also satisfying, at least personally, because you know I, I I love watching video games characters kiss, maybe a, maybe <laughs> to a weird degree. Uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> throw that out. Throw that out. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, there's kind of a lot of these where the people are, um, like, depending on where they ended up, um, it changes, you know, it changes the story quite a bit, or maybe they end up together, like, Wolfred and the bog crone, <laughs> Big Bertrude, um, have a thing, and so they end up together, there's a possibility for Rookie and, um, someone we hadn't mentioned yet, um, the Wings, uh, kind of harpy girl Pamatha um, can end up together in the Commonwealth. Um, yeah, so it, it changes depending on where exactly these characters end up at the end of the story. And I really like the fact that you're going to leave some people behind and you have to make the difficult decision that some of your team, um, even if you win every single, if even if you win every single of the seven uh, final rights, you're still going to end up with um, three people, including including or not including yourself, still stuck on the downside. Right. And uh, one of the major ending conditions is whether uh, Volfert's planned revolution succeeds or not. And uh, if you liberate six or seven members of the Nightwings, then uh, then it it, exceed, it succeeds and bloodlessly and rather smoothly. If you liberate between three and five Nightwings, it uh, the liberation the revolution succeeds, but after a bloody conflict. And uh, if you liberate two or fewer Nightwings, then uh, the revolution fails and is uh, somewhat crushed, and that's sort of the, the bad ending of the game. Um, I got the normal ending because I uh, I liberate I, I uh, for all of the liberation rights I um, I I I, uh, I I should say I, I won five of them deliberately, of course and deliberately failed two of them um, because I, again, for sympathy reasons. Uh, one of them was uh, Pamatha's sister, Tamatha, was going was up for liberation. She's in the, te- the, the team called, I think, The Essence, which is a three fi- uh, flying harpy women. And, uh, and, uh, and Pamatha, who has a very bad relationship with Tamatha, wants nothing more than for her sister to go free. And like hearing Pamatha's wish in my wagon and Tamatha so determined to leave I decided to let Tamitha win out of respect for my teammate. Like maybe this will be better for Pamitha if I let Tamitha leave. I regret that decision a little bit because um, Tamitha's kind of a jerk and just, <laughs> and and uh, and just goes straight back into battle uh, with the with the harpies fighting against the Commonwealth uh, as soon as she's liberated again. She does, um, yeah. But like, yeah, did you did you liberate Pamitha as well? I did not. I did not Pamitha, either. Pam- Neither did I. Yeah. No, I. Did we all? Did we all um, liberate Tamitha and not Pamitha? Yep. 
I mentioned I liberated five and didn't liberate two. The other one I didn't liberate was the final battle, Oralek. Oh, okay. I didn't realize we were counting that one. Yeah, so I didn't do three then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll go back to that in a minute because I think that goes into like final game stuff. But yeah, like obviously you probably all got the same ending with Tamitha then because it says that she she sort of just becomes she becomes a bit of a recluse well she did in my ending anyway after the liberation succeeded and the commonwealth became the oh god what's it called something of sar or something the i think it's like the sarian nation or the nation of sar that might be it yeah um and she becomes a bit of a recluse but it's suggested that she maybe misses her sister and i'm like damn it why didn't i liberate both of them or why didn't i leave them both in the downside kind of thing like yeah it makes you really rethink some of your decisions yeah and i i didn't know about the the bloodless revolution versus the struggle revolution condition and i might i i probably would not have liberated um, tamitha if i knew about that because i didn't know uh things like that or the uh or um moon girl and almer possibly hooking up until doing some research after i beat the game so, uh, like, part of me wants to replay this game immediately and have send up um, Almer and Moon Girl together. Don't liberate Pam- uh, uh, Tamitha. Definitely don't liberate that um, um, the, the leader of the uh, of, of Chastity, the tree oh, dude. I, God. Oh, God. Oh, did, did you all accidentally liberate him too? I did no, not. I, know, I, I did. lost. I lost by oh, accident. Oh, I, that was me too. Like, I lost. Um, I neither of my. Um, Neither of my last rights losses were intentional. So I accidentally sent up Tamitha, which I was fine with. I thought that was a cool story beat. Um, but I accidentally sent up what what the heck was his name? We were just talking about him this morning. Oh my god. Tinderstaff. Is it Tinderstaff? Yeah, something yeah, Eve something Tinderstaff. Um yeah, so I accidentally sent him up. But if you didn't if and, you and also accidentally that's his name. Manly, Manly Tindithoff, um, <sighs> who is just the worst. Um, he's just the worst, um, basically, capitalist turned bootlicker um, down in the downside. But uh, but as Alana accidentally sent him up as well, I'm guessing you saw the part about what happened when he got there. Yeah. <laughs> F you, Manly. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it, is, it doesn't work out for him. I don't remember who I was putting him up against at the time like uh it's probably uh but well but when i found out that this liberation right was going to be against uh the chastity and tinder staff it's like oh no not you i am going to beat your ass right now and you are staying in the damn downside yeah so i i maybe i had slightly more determination than usual when i beat his ass at the liberation rights oh yeah um definitely i really wanted to beat him i was so annoyed about it but actually i think i'd like had a um i'd had a right with him like two rights beforehand as well and there was a really interesting conversation between uh volfred and me and he was like maybe you should play it cool with him and Mm -hmm. like get more information from him and i didn't interpret that as losing so then i accidentally lost this practice right as well and then manly ended up spilling more information on his position and things and i was like Oh, okay. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But then I lost to him again and I was really annoyed about it. But yeah, um, what happens to Tinderstaff is because the Commonwealth falls, he loses his position and he tries to climb back up. And by 
bootlicking again and trying to get around the same way as he did in the downside um but this new this new age this new these new rulers or whatever it is um they put him on trial multiple times and make him do community service basically so yeah if he if he remains in the downside what happens is his very wealthy family in, in the uh uh in the new nation kids uh can basically bankrupt bankrupts themselves on his behest to try and find new ways to to bring him through the uh, uh to bring him back to, to the top side to top side even though the rights are no longer anymore and none of them work and they uh the family ends up bankrupt and he ends up disgraced and living in the waking wood area uh for the for the re- uh for the rest of time which was i was pretty satisfied by that i i i accept this the only the only way it could have got better is if they threw them all down there really isn't it <laughs> oh my god yeah it's that was that was pretty satisfying so i was i was upset when he won like i was something that this game does really well is whether you win or lose um you have a reaction to it so Mm -hmm. you got when when he won i was upset because it took me three tries to get jordariel up to the surface because i uh, accidentally put it on heightened and forgot about it. Oh, so at first, like, was, was that for a heightened star or, or with just a regular difficulty setting? Oh, just a regular difficulty setting. And there were also a couple of Titan stars that I forgot to turn off. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so it just got really um, difficult, and um, I was I was not prepared, and I was like, wait a minute, let me look back. Did I? Oh, I did. So I set it back down to standard, and then. The matches were close, but I still was winning. Um, I lost four times throughout this entire game, and three of them were to the essence because oh. I am terrible at jumping. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Saps like uh, like uh, Manly and like Volfred are very good defensively because they can set they can send out a sapling to provide like a second defensive aura, and they have a reflecting shield. Yeah. And you basically just have to, and they can teleport a little bit, but their walking speed is very slow. So you have to sort of be very agile and conscious about jumping jumping around them because they, they can't jump themselves. Uh, and again, I, I played the whole game on standard difficulty. I did turn on Titan Stars on and off uh, once or twice when like when the game specifically told me if you activate a Titan Star, you might this might affect the outcome. Yeah. Uh, because uh, one of the teams is uh, the team of full of crones worships <laughs> one of the Titan beasts, and if you beat them. While you activate the Titan Star of, of Eastlock, which is the beast they worship, then it gives them permanent st- uh, stat downgrades for the whole rest of the game. Yeah, I did that. And that sounded interesting to me, so I, I, did, I did it too. I didn't but fight I, the I, I, Ken, though. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure I did either, but it was it was at least satisfying to beat them that way. Uh, and, uh, and, and anyway, listeners, um, this game is, has diff- different difficulty settings with a, a final hardest one called True Nightwing, if you, uh, I, I think... If, um, after you beat the game once but also there's our titan stars which give you sort of extra conditions to make battles harder for you but cause you to be awarded more experience afterwards and it works like uh like curses in bastion or the heat system in uh in hades to compare pyre to other super giant games but uh, again this game makes you feel bad about winning winning or good about losing sometimes in a way that's really fascinating and i think um losing even unimportant rights can be valuable for story reasons and dialogue reasons, like when Alana lost to Man- to Manly Tinderstaff. But also, uh, if you want to choose who you fight for the rights, 
you you can like check the standings of the teams and see what their what level of favor that they have and and like okay these four teams have favor in the 30s and these two these three teams have favor of like five so it's i'm i'm going to face one of those four for the liberation right and if you like deliberately say beat one team and lose to another team in the in the in the regular season rights <laughs> then you can sort of con- manipulate who you face for the liberation right and like, like uh, because they'll lose favor or gain favor based on how when they uh, when they face you. So that there's just so many little tricks and ideas that this game and nuances this game has that are so fun. And 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 uh, we mentioned that you can equip artifacts for different conditions, and and there's a, a huge variety of those, of course. But each character has a unique artifact that only they can equip that usually is, is particularly suited to their skills. And to do that, you have to win a set of one-on-three rights with that character by gazing into a special crystal ball in your uh, in, in your caravan and act, and interacting with a woman named Sandra. So, like, like I, I got um, the Sandra artifacts for I think every character except for the very first one I liberated <laughs> because I, I didn't I didn't get to unlock Hedwin, uh, Hedwin's um, uh, uh, trial uh, before liberating him. And he was the one I liberated in the in the very first uh, liberation rites. The five that I ended up liberating are the original three: Hedwin, Jadariel, and Ruki, plus Moon Girl and Tizo. And the, the last one I liberated was Tizo because I, 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 I felt like my MVP deserved the reward of experiencing the um, the land above the downside for the first time. I, it, it, so I had to, that means I had to do the final liberation rite without Tizo, but I I, I figured it out. It's funny that we all, like, there are a lot of these decisions that we made similarly. Like, we all liberated Hedwin first. I mean, I liberated him first because I just thought that he was the um, the least interesting from a gameplay and narrative perspective. I was like, and, and that he was looking for this woman. He was like, okay, or his uh, this person who he was cavorting with and why he was sent to the downside and whatever. Um, I was like, yeah, he should be back together with her. Um, so up you go. <laughs> but the crazy thing is you also unlock more biography uh, and and learn more about the uh, people on your team as you level them up. So I never unlocked Hedwin's little biography section because I, oh, I liberated really? him. And uh, in his ending, you learn that he, the woman he was in love with was a harp one of the one of the winged people that are the enemies of the commonwealth and that his relationship with her might have been why he was sent to the downside i'd have it, to look it up myself. it is it is yeah, yeah. I, I had hedwin's biography before he went up and i had his artifact as well so i had mm. I'd, i i sent him up first because i'd essentially thought his arc was done and he he's the one who heals you as well and i thought like for the generosity of being the person to put the trust in the reader first before anybody else was like, it felt appropriate for him to get freedom first for me. Yeah, I, I liberated him first because he, I felt he was deserving. Yeah, but I do agree with Eva. I think like because I'd because I'd already gotten the whole gist of his story, and because he was I, at this point, I was using the Moon Touch Girl more than him, and she played fairly similarly to him, just with a charge mm-hmm. up and. A, faster i just thought like no i think i could do without him and i missed him because he was like the the head he was like the the center of the group he was kind of the not the leader necessarily but he was he, the common like, sense he, he was like the, the the steady character 
Yeah, to use another sports analogy, uh, he's sort of a glue guy, like someone who yeah. uh, is, is is not the head of the team, but sort of keeps everyone keeps everyone together. Right. Like like yeah. a cult presence. Uh, but but anyway, I I don't think I had really unlocked anyone's story yet. I was uh, I was leveling up the crew very very evenly, uh, because mm-hmm. I, even though I didn't know everything about Pyre, I knew that you could you can lose characters by sending them up. So I, I didn't I didn't want to put too many eggs into one character basket with uh, with leveling up my team, <laughs> but uh, and, and I, I ended up uh, releasing five and um, but and deliberately losing two. I mentioned that I lost against Tamitha, but the uh, the other one I lost was the final encounter of the game uh, deliberately because uh, around the three quarters mark or so you meet Oralek, uh, the person who was presumed dead and on the original Nightwings with Volfred, and he's reformed. The Nightwings into a team called the True Nightwings. He's a demon like uh, Jodariel, but his team is is very very good. It's, it's, it's I think it's him, uh, a human that's a little bit like Hedwin and a uh, a very agile imp like uh, like Tizo, which which feels like him trying to recreate the Nightwings of old. <laughs> like like he has a vendetta against Volfred. He believe he was he believes he was uh, I think righteously believes that he was uh, he was betrayed and denied his chance to return. So he's just very bitter and hateful. And uh, no matter what the outcome is, uh, the very final rights is against Orlex True Nightwing's team. And I, I, I played I played the game normally and even got ahead at first, but then but like decided part way that, you know, I think if anyone deserves to leave, it's him. So I just let him go through. And but after you after he wins, uh, in the dialogue with the reader afterwards, uh, he, you sort of like I chose to sort of have a heart to heart with him because you can choose to like argue with him or be silent or or reach out to him. Oh. And I, I like I, I reached out to him and he reconsidered his choice and offered to let you go free instead. Mm-hmm. OK, that's and, really uh, interesting. And, and that gave and that gave me a choice. I could accept and have the reader go free for the seventh rights or decline and have Orlek go free or accept the offer from Orlek and then have my designated player go free, right. who, at, who at this time was uh, was uh, Big Barda for me. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Big, Big Bertha. Big, yeah, Big Barda is a uh, is a new gods character from the DC universe. That's my mistake. <laughs> That's and, so uh, interesting. I, I think she marries Mister Miracle. I want to say, but uh, that's a, I mean, that that's some Jack Kirby nonsense that I uh, have not read in a long, long time. Um, and but so like that final decision being your only chance to set the reader free or have maybe the most sympathetic opponent or let go free or have a final move to have one of your own go free was like, I I sat there staring at the screen for five minutes, (laughs) which was because I wasn't expecting this. And, uh, and in every other previous, right, I had sort of decided ahead of time what I wanted. Right. And, uh, yeah, that this game, this game has is about silly basketball religious rights, but it has, really thoughtful player choice attached it's it's so impressive that i oh, i am so impressed that this game made me feel these feelings right yeah i mean it's interesting that you threw the match because i didn't i won the match and i chose to liberate sir gilman at this point um but then again there's a similar thing happens in the um i think it's the celestia celesta or um the lone bard um tells you oh you can do what you want. This is the final time because I think the um the pool doesn't it? It takes a while to start up essentially. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, you can tell it's in its dying uh, breaths. So. Yeah, yeah, and so they say like this is the last time 
what do you want to do to Sir Gilman? And Sir Gilman very enthusiastically went, I want my reader to be liberated. And then I got that same choice. I got the, do I want to take it? Do, do I want mm -hmm. to let Sir Gilman go? Or do I want to let Aurelette go? And at that point, I was like, okay. hang on a minute. Like, why did I beat Aurelic when he's been through that much? Like, he was a bit of a jerk, definitely, to us, but kind of understandably, I think, um, given the circumstances with Volfred. Um, so, yeah, I chose to let Aurelic go at this point, even though I'd won the right, and he went. So I won So I won this match against Aurelic, and my designated person to go up was Volfred. And I decided to go with um, having him go up to the um, back up to the Commonwealth. Um, I, I found it kind of weird that that basically whatever if you lose to him on purpose or if you lose, you know, with you know if you were trying or if you win, the decision is all the same. And I, I feel like that. I feel like we've been talking a lot of good on this game, um, but I'm not as. I, I love this game not as high up on it as say like Transistor or even Hades really because there's just in this game there's when you're playing uh, another super giant game everything feels extremely intentional everything feels um, very um, tied to each other it feels very connected I didn't and this is just my own experience with it I didn't feel like everything this game led me to question some of the decisions that they're making whereas in other games i would say why did you do that and it's why did you do that because i thought that was a brilliant decision and this is more of a why did you do that i don't think that was um i don't think that was great for your narrative or gameplay mechanics um so it, this one has the messiest narrative of the four supergiant games i think because there's so many different outcomes and some pieces that don't necessarily seem to fit. Like, would the game be that different if, uh, if, if there was no Sir Gilman story or no Pamitha story? I, 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 I don't, I don't yeah, think so. I don't think so. No, I think Pamitha's maybe a little different, but because the mm -hmm. liberation right for the essence is so early, it's the second one most of the time. It, it kind of concluded really quickly for me, and she just kind of faded into the background yeah like my choice for sir gilman was more just based on the fact that he'd kind of he'd like he'd banished himself to the downside and i didn't feel like he deserved it at that point i was kind of feeling a bit sympathetic for him at that point but yeah really like his character even bertrude's character bertrude's a little bit more important because of her uh the reason why she was banished again she made ink um, for a printing press which Volfred was running so you know with literature liter literature being illegal I think that's a big no-no um, so yeah I found that interesting but yeah it is the messiest and I guess that's more of a consequence of the design of the game I mean I don't know how many different endings or pathways there are but there's got to be a lot of words if, if you do like they did the math and because there's just like every character arc can end at least two ways probably closer to five or six ways and there's something like 20 characters that are involved uh, i think the number of possible endings goes into the millions but yeah. they're uh but but really it's um bloodless revolution uh uh, battle revolution or failed revolution and then individual character endings and uh, you you click through character endings at the uh, right right before the credits roll 
like an extremely more elaborate version of uh, what happens when you beat a Fire Emblem or Suikoden game, <laughs> and you get a you get like a where are they now segment for everyone that was on your team. And uh, I I really like this game, and um, I I think maybe because I I connected with this story and and things like how beautiful the world map was. And uh, and the customizable dialogue. You, you do a big speech before before right number oh, six, yes. I think, yeah. where, you, where you can click on individual lines of your speech and change them, and like uh, and, and which give, which you know lets you sort of choose the tone of the encouraging speech, and and even like the final line you say is sort of becomes your team's motto, at at the end. Yeah. Uh, like 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 having that kind of gameplay in a narrative segment which is you know a, a little bit like a visual novel or or even a dating sim was so cool to me and isn't like anything in in bastion transistor or hades i, I think i'm a little higher on this game than eva is i would uh in fact let, let's pose this uh let's pose this question to the whole group um where does pyre rate for you in the whole super giant oeuvre um i'll i'll go first I think my favorite Supergiant game is still Hades. I was just so blown away by Hades uh, playing it earlier this year that it made me more eager to revisit the rest of Supergiant Games' games's catalog uh, when we were planning out the podcasts in, in uh, December of this year. Uh, and, and, I, and, like, and playing all of them within a few months of each other made me love all four of them more. But I think Hades is still my favorite, and after that, it's just a morass. I, I don't know which which figure which finish second, third, or fourth. But uh, this is crazy to me. Transistor might be fourth out of four for me. Oh. <laughs> how dare you? Which is which is not a which is not harsh words. It's just how much I like each of those three very cool, unique games. I was gonna say, like, where do you score them all between like eighty five and hundred? Is more of the question, isn't it? Right, like, right. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, like uh, I think I think the floor is eighty five, and the ceiling <laughs> is Hades, is Hades, um, like knocking on the door of a of a ninety six out of a hundred. Oh and yeah, yeah. I'd say um, Pyre's my Pyre's my least favorite of the Super Giant games because it's I would say it's kind of on. I got as much out of Pyre as I did out of Bastion, but Bastion is also like less than half its length. Um, which, you know, so that's just kind of like, and not to say that Pyre was not an interesting experience or that I regretted that it's, I regretted that time that I played it. Um, but there's just more things. Bastion was on a smaller scale, but did more things really well within that smaller scale. And I feel like Pyre does the same amount of work but over a longer span. I mean, it's a, this is much more close to a, an RPG in terms of length, in terms of leveling up things. But um, in terms of just how it is, like I said, I felt like it lacked consistency when compared to the other three Supergiant games. I think it also, while having, uh, while having pretty strong music, I think it's my least favorite of the four. I'm sorry. That's still, once again, oh, like, no, I, I, Dar- I, I, like it's Darren Korb. So it's, so it's like, oh, it's the, it's the worst of Bowie's, um, like 1969 to 1979 output. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so it's like, so it's still great. It's like, it's still really good. Um, but just not reaching the heights that I think the other ones set. Um, and 
just some of the gameplay decisions, the fact that once, um, if your character doesn't have the ball, they just don't move. Like there's no AI to the characters yeah. and they just stand there to be mm -hmm. blown up. Um, super weird. And that, that, they, that is weird, but like I, I, what I had to sort of figure out is have my slower defensive people with big auras. I like I would switch to them at the beginning and position them so they would be annoying for other people to deal with. And if the other player's ball carrier got around my point car character, I would quickly switch to one of the people waiting in defense to try and take out the ball carrier. Like again, maybe I I my uh, my love of real life sports um, carried over to my <laughs> um, pyre strategy a little bit in a way that I found really satisfying, but. I mean, I didn't connect to the action of Transistor the, as as easily as I connected to the action of Pyre, which which factors into my feelings on this. Right, and that's I mean that's completely like that's completely subjective because I felt like you know I felt differently. Um, I'm where when I'm playing Transistor, it's one of my favorite systems. Period. I mean that's one of my favorite games. Period. And so it, it's it's a lot of um, subjectivity, but um, there's just more there's more um kind of there's more debris in this game um mm. where i feel like the other super giant games for me regardless of if they're five hours for bastion about 10 hours um for transistor or 40 hours for hades had less kind of chuff or chaff i think the word's chaff <laughs> yeah separating the wheat from the chaff the chaff is the useless yes. start of the uh, part of the uh, of the wheat plant Yes, Pyre has more chaff, in my opinion. I, I agree that Pyre is maybe the messiest of the four, of the four, and ha and has what feels like the least purposeful structure, or it feels like the least intentionally designed. Which I think is a is a comparison you made earlier, Eva. But I I, I still love it. Uh, Alana, what are your feelings on how uh, Pyre rates among the, uh, the Supergiant Games collection? Um, so. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to rank them, but I'll rank them loosely. Um, I'd say going from release order upwards, I would rank them. So I, my least favorite is Bastion, probably just because I think it's the easiest to grasp in one or two goes. Whereas, you know, with the other games, you have to play multiple times, definitely. I mean, you can play Bastion multiple times and get more out of it, but I think the other three games reward you more for multiple playthroughs. And so that makes Pyre my second favorite. And I, the reason is it is messy and it's got a lot of chaff and it's got a lot of debris, but I love characters and I think the whole cast of Pyre are so good. I think that they're all so extremely interesting and they all bring something different to the table. I think I've also got a real affection for like campfire pilgrimage stories, like a group of people come together to do something they recount their lives and their stories together and there's a bit of that with pyre it's also just weird like what other game is like pyre in the world and i don't think there's anything that's really comparable to it um and yeah it, it is messy and that final choice at the end threw me and i liked it as a choice for if i won I think I would be a little bit hacked off if I deliberately threw the match and Oralek was suddenly like, oh no, you can go. I'm like, but where's that motivation yeah. come from? Like, <laughs> that feels really strange to me. So yeah, maybe I won't go in and lose all my liberation rights or maybe I'll just always win that last one. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I, I, my feeling is uh, like after I, I did a little bit of research after beating the game to see what the other potential endings were, 
Um, I, my feeling is now, oh, I want to go and win every liberation right except except uh, except for Almer, so I can have him and Moon Girl live happily ever after in yeah. uh, in, in the new in the new nation. Like like, but the fact that I was thinking of how I wanted my next playthrough to go minutes after beating the game, <laughs> well, like like uh, sort of illustrates how much I liked the story here. And Alana, you're right. This game is so unique. I, I think we the comparisons of NBA Jam and Oregon Trail, or uh, my thoughts of like it being the intersection of a sports game, a visual novel, and a and a uh, and an RPG are are fair comparisons, and that is so weird and unique that I appreciate Pyre a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it goes back to me like when I think of this game, I think of my very first E3 and all of the happy <laughs> memories associated with that. And uh, so, so I like again, this is incredibly subjective, but I just feel weirdly close to Pyre. And um, yeah. now that I've thought about it for a few minutes yeah i think this is my i think this is my second favorite like so my my ranking is the same as alana's but with transistor and bastion flipped yeah and i just love like you know we didn't really talk about the book of rights or the scribes like i love reading that book and finding out more about like the book acts as a tutorial guide at certain points because it tells you about the rights in such a flowery way that just is so lovely to read through and then you've got like one chapter each dedicated to one of the scribes and they all tell you something different like um Haub tells you about how the scribes were formed and one of the other ones tells you about the titan stars and one of the other ones tells you about every location in the downside and it just adds a real rich texture i mean every super giant game has such a rich texture to its world but Pyre's felt so earned, maybe because it was so wrapped up in the oh literature is illegal and things like that, and that's I, I don't know that's the thing that always resonates with me really well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah the, and that that book which fills in as you encounter more people and and learn more dialogue uh, fills in as you go, and it's about a, a hundred pages of gloss of glossary and lore. Oh, it's more that uh, <laughs> you know, more than that. It, it, it's it actually. I mean, it's like I think it's something like a hundred, like two hundred pages. But uh, but but half of the pages are are text, and the other half are really beautiful yeah. art by Gen Z, which of course I want to unlock more of. But but they're but they're written like fables and parables and mythology in a way that just makes it an ex- a highly entertaining read. Learning about the world of Pyre. Yeah. Um. I want to bring up something about the music as well because actually, like. I do really like the soundtrack to this game. It doesn't top transistors for me, I don't think. Um, I mean, soundtrack, but um, um, not only is a lot of the ending stuff um, incidental, dependent on choices in that, but so is some of the music. And I mean, the most obvious one is the music that plays during the Liberation Rites, which I can't remember the name of. I think it's Never to Return. Um, there are nine versions of that song and split across two different albums. Um the uh, Pyre soundtrack is three different albums. There's the standard one, the White Mandolin and the Black Loot or something like that. And the Black Album has all of the different versions of this song and it's dependent on who you are facing in the Liberation Rite. So it changes the instrumentation, it changes the lyrics to match what team you're playing. And that's just so cool to me. And I love that, I think Darren said this was like the most complicated soundtrack to do because every character... Every team's got their own theme, but then every character in the Nightwings has also got their own theme, and those mm-hmm. it, that instrumentation is carried through all of the pieces of music so well. Um, yeah, Jesus, like he he wrote his own version of Peter and the Wolf for this game, and basically with, you know, with the Wolf obviously being Rookie. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then the credit song, uh, 
we all become become one or something like that um something like that i'm getting it confused with the opening song in transistor but um that again the lyrics on that song change depending on who you liberate and who you don't so Mm -hmm. it's less complicated because there's obviously nine characters and if you liberate yourself as well none of us liberated the reader did we i i didn't know No, I didn't. Ah, so we'll have to try that at some point. So yeah, like it changes the lyrics in that as well. And yeah, there's just so much thought put into the craft of it that I can kind of forgive the messiness and the things that I don't like. And I think the gameplay is maybe the gameplay I found the most interesting. I love Transistor's like customization. I think that's incredible. Um, Like the detail on that is so good. And Bastion is super simple. And this is super simple as well, but... Yeah, I just think it all comes together to make something very, very beautiful for me. Like, I love I love Pyre so much. <laughs> and it's got Tizo. So there you go. No other game in yeah. the, no other um, game in these four. I'm not I'm not sure I like I'm not sure I like any character in Bastion or Transistor as much as Tizo. When we get into the, the gods and underworld denizens of Hades, maybe there's contenders, but but Tizo is on a different a, a, level. A complete light. Yeah. Oh. I'm I'm glad this game exists and like I didn't I don't think it's a bad game by any means. Um I think it's a very interesting game and I'm really glad that um Supergiant did something this weird and unique. Um and it has a lot of really cool ideas to it. Um I think one one thing with this story is that whereas in other games it felt like the world um the world was communicated through how you saw the um, characters talk about it or interact with it. And a lot of this came from like essentially data logs in the book. And they were and like they're well written and, and everything. But when you look at Transistor and how we learn a lot about the world from the mm. upgrades and from like their characters' experiences. And so we learn um, what exactly a society thinks about a blue sky from a character rather than um, like from exposition, I guess. And I think that also kind of breaks up the pacing a bit. Um, so I think it's choppy and segmented in, in yeah. Empire. You, know, you, yeah. you, can, you can really separate it into the space in between each liberation right, and it, it, it feels uneven, especially in the second half of the game. That, mm. That's undeniable. Right. But, and, with, and with that, though, it's still a very interesting, very fascinating game. And the fact that it was successful and critically successful as well for being just so out there and so strange is kind of a testament to just how interesting of a studio Supergiant is and the type of um, fan base and following that they've cultivated that people are willing to go with them for this type of game yeah there's a real healthy culture around supergiant which i love and again going back to no clip as we have done on every episode like they talked about yeah. um like it, this was the game that because they'd done so well with transistor and bastion they felt like they could take the risk and they felt like they would have that support with it and they largely did like i think pyre might be their least successful game in terms of critical and commercial success which is 
I can totally understand why. Like, it's not it's not the easiest sell in the world. But um, I remember Darren Corb, and there's definitely been some interviews circling around recently as well, given current discussions. Um, but um, Darren Corb said this was the game they introduced mandatory holiday in, the, like vacation days. And because they had that space and they had that creative freedom, but also just because they were a good company and they're kind of... Like, we talked about platonic ideals a couple of episodes ago and they are i call them them the platonic ideal of an indie studio (laughs) and they are like the culture surrounding supergiant is wonderful like i don't like to stan companies and things like that but i have to admire like what they've done as a group it's like an initial group of seven people expanding to they must be like 20 now maybe um maybe 30 um but yeah like you've got to admire everything that they've done because they've just cultivated such a good culture and a good group of fans who respect their work and they respect us in turn and respect their employees which what's not to celebrate about that i suppose speaking of fans my new favorite uh internet community surrounding a game is that of hades because if you go to the if you go to the forums or the (laughs) subreddit of that game it's like an equal balance of memes and jokes with really awesome gameplay videos with uh with respectfully asked and answered questions and in a way that just that 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 warms my heart um supergiant is the kind of studio that makes interesting game choices with all with all of their output and cultivates a good work environment and a good fan environment that again i i stand by the comment platonic ideal of an indie game studio and I am so, so glad that we celebrated them and played their games for this whole month because Bastion Transistor and Pyre are also unique and interesting in their own ways that there's no wrong answer to which is your favorite or which or which is the coolest that, uh, like, even more than usual when you're making subjective judgments about games within a series or games within a, a, a sphere or... Uh, what choose your noun i mean i i i think all three of those games are so cool and i'm glad i finally got around to playing pyre that game i did that e3 uh, preview on more than four years ago but i would say this marks the end of supergiant month that's not that's not exactly the case uh you'll see why in a second I, i think although i think i did mention it in the previous episode as well um but before we get to all the housekeeping, uh, Alana and Eva, thank you so much for joining me on these uh, on these episodes. Uh, it, like I had so much fun playing these three games and talking about them with both of you, and I hope that uh, it encourages listeners to at, to revisit or play or at least think about these games a little bit because they're all so interesting, thought provoking video games that would not be the same if the story was told in a different medium yeah thanks for having mm. us i'd agree completely like i'd never played a super jo- i'd never beaten a super giant game before hades and within a month and a half i've now beaten all four of them so yeah i've loved it yeah yeah i really and i really enjoyed this getting to as you know i had played um hades in october and then i played um bastion transistor previous to that but getting to kind of play all three of these games within a few weeks span, um, I felt was really fruitful and really taught me a lot about their specific game design and how they've evolved as a studio, um, which has been really, really fulfilling, um, mm. as well as getting to talk with two of my favorite games people about it. Oh, 
Oh, that's that's sweet. But we're not quite done talking about Supergiant's output either uh, and how they've evolved as a game studio. Because <laughs> in January, we're doing an episode all about Hades and uh, to serve as, I don't know, an echo or an aftershock of the month of Supergiant games. And also coming in January, we're doing a whole episode on Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is probably tied with Hades as my favorite games of uh, 2020. So I'm, I'm going to be extra excited to talk about both of those. But before that happens, we still have one more episode left in December, and that is going to be Retro Encounters traditional uh, 2020 year in review. That'll come out either the 31st of December or the 1st of January. It depends on how uh, challenging the edit is, I think. <laughs> um, but, we'll, uh, but we will um, definitely have a year in review coming. Uh, excuse me, a year in review episode coming very soon, and there will probably be a little bit of Hades and Yakuza discussion in that episode as well. You think? Um, uh, oh, I think. <laughs> but also, I think in January, we have another episode planned. Uh, two episodes, in fact, on Batsen Kaito's Eternal Wings and Lost Ocean, the GameCube classic RPG that had enough of a cult following for it to win our public <laughs> poll uh, that's, that was attached to episode 250. So... Um, Alana, I know you're going to be on those episodes uh, with a, a panel TBD, but there will be some Batsen Kaitos discussion on this podcast in January. Uh, we have February plans forming, but I'm not quite ready to share them uh, with listeners yet. But I do want to share with the listeners our email, retro at RPGfan.com. That is the best way to reach us directly. I check that email every week. And uh, RPGfan also has message boards on RPGfan.com and a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a Twitter page, a Discord server, a Twitch channel, uh, something streaming every day. And all of those are called RPGfan or RPGfan.com. Please uh, reach out to us. Uh, give us whatever feedback you can stand. Oh, we also have a YouTube channel. Why, why isn't that, that in my list? Um, Greg and the people in the video production team have been more active in YouTube in 2020 than any year previously, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? I should add YouTube to my list of things I share at the end of every episode. That's, that's on me. Should. My bad. But speaking of other things RPG Fan does, we also have three other fine podcasts. Random Encounter about randomness. Rhythm Encounter about RPG music. And Phoenix Edge, a weekly podcast mostly focused on current events. That uh, And those three, along with Retro Encounter, are the RPG Fan Podcast Network. Please review all four of those shows on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or however you are listening to us. We love feedback. Give us feedback. But if they, you want to give feedback to Eva or Alana directly, how do you do that? Let's ask them, starting with Alana. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Alana Hagues, or you can, if you're a part of the RPG Fan Discord, I am at Alana on there. Or if you want to email me, you can do that. I am Alana H at RPGFan.com. And Eva. You can find me on RPG Fan's general social media, Facebook and Twitter, um, or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Eva Lease. And you can find me on Twitter most easily. I'm at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for dogs other times. I'm also on RPG Fans Discord as Monsoon Mike. Or you can look into the stars, uh, shout the word frogs seven times, and I will probably wake up bolt upright with a nightmare about frogs. <laughs> um, listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck with all those frogs. When the stars align, the rites shall come to bear. Illuminate the signs, the exiles shall.